that when we are our true selves, we benefit the world around us so much more and we pay into the universe what we were created to do. And it has this huge snowball effect of just really good energy flowing out to the people around you the relationships that you will make will be so much stronger because you are connecting with people as yourself not as what you think they want you to be welcome to the chasing passion podcast my name is dom and i'm your host each week i bring on a passionate person to help you discover your own passion in life and how to begin pursuing it thanks for spending some time with me today and let the episode begin in this episode, we're joined by Laura Jones, and she's a teacher, illustrator, and the creator of Hello Happy. Laura is following her passion for creativity, wellness, and business by using her spare time to work on her creative projects. Hello Happy contains a blog and a store, actually, where you can find really cool products such as stickers, magnets, art, and many other things, and they all portray something positive, and it's using her own illustrations, which is really, really cool. In this episode, we talk about Laura's journey, so why she actually does what she does, how did she get started, and so on. We also discuss mental health and why it's so important and how to actually look after your mental health. We discuss the education system and what we can do to improve it, perhaps, and many other cool and interesting topics. Thank you so much for listening to the episode, and without further ado, let's jump right in. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, it's nice to, to, to be on the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. So the, the first question I always ask is um, who you are, what do you do, and what's kind of your background, just to provide some context to the listeners, and yeah, just to have a general sure. kind of idea of what you do and what you're all about. Okay, um, well, my name is Laura Jones, and I am the creator of Laura Jane Illustrations on Instagram, and also of the blog Hello Happy. Um, I am Irish as well. I was born and raised in Tipperary and I studied teaching in Mary Immaculate in Limerick. Um, and after graduating, I went on to live in London and teach there. And now I live in Italy, not far from Milan. Um, and as my day job, I teach as a kindergarten teacher in an international school while working on everything that I do for Hello Happy and the Happy Shop in the free time that I have. Well, that's super interesting. And like, what made you go from, you know, teaching to moving over to Italy and doing Hello Happy and stuff like that? Um, Interestingly, it was my experience with teaching in the UK that pushed me to do something outside of my day job. Um, Because um, I don't know how familiar you are with teaching, but I mean, in Ireland, I know it's getting more difficult for teachers in terms of workload. In the UK, it's a, it's an extremely stressful job. And I think it's one in five new teachers leave within their first year because of the workload and how much paperwork and how you're just expected to take your job home with you every day. Um, and because of the fact that teaching was kind of all I ever wanted to do growing up, when I started doing it and I was met with that, it was really um, deflating. So I decided to pursue something creative on the side for my own well-being. Um, and that started as blogging. Um, then when I moved to Italy, it grew into something much bigger than that when I started Laura Jane Illustrations. Um, and I started pursuing mental health awareness um, through social media. Um, and now it's kind of just almost become a second job at this point where I'm working on it as much as I am my full time job. Um, but I mean, uh, to sum up and roughly answer your question, the reason that I did it originally was for my own mental health. I needed to do something creative to distract myself from the stress of my day job. That's that's a very interesting perspective. So you made like your main decision was to um kind of um help with your own well being and help with your own mental health. That's kind of interesting uh, and yeah. as a hobby. And now it kind of grew into this um shop and it's kind of a side hustle, side income kind of thing, is it? It is. I mean, at the moment, it's it's a a small side income for me. It's not in mm. a place where I can leave my day job and support myself fully. Um, but definitely in the last 12 months, I've seen a growth where it has the potential to become that in the future, um, which is obviously really rewarding because it's something that I really enjoy doing and I'm really passionate. Um, and it's working on 
Hello Happy or the Happy Shop or my illustrations, it doesn't matter to me how many hours in the day that I'm putting into that. Whereas when I'm sometimes when I'm working on my day job, I'm watching the clock the whole time. So the plan is that if it continues to grow and pick up momentum the way that it is in the last 12 months, um, that it could be what supports me um, financially. And then what does actually, what does Hello Happy do? So you provide illustrations on Instagram and then you sell those illustrations through Hello Happy. Is that how it works? Um, what's the kind of business process there? So Hello Happy is the the blog um, section of it, um, which is relatively new. We relaunched today at the start of March. Um, and that's going to be a whole new space for sharing stories and kind of a non-profit side to it. Um, Laura Jane Illustrations is where the business side of it comes. Um, I share my illustrations that I create on there. And from that, I have created the Happy Shop. So people can go and buy quotes or affirmations that I've illustrated that they connect with as prints, as stickers. Um, and then there's also the custom order side of it. So people have commissioned me to do work for their own social media, um, to create logos for them, to create custom prints for them. Um, at Christmas, I ran uh, custom illustrated portraits um, so people could create their own custom Christmas cards. Um, there's a lot of different like uh, sections that span off of it. But basically, um, it the majority of it comes from selling the quotes that I've illustrated as prints or as stickers. That's super interesting. And do you um, design and make all the designs yourself? Yeah, I mean, when I started it online, I, I set up the page just as a space <laughs> for, for me to share my own doodles. Um, and obviously, it's grown into something so much bigger than I ever expected. <laughs> Um, but the majority of why I illustrate are just my own words. I do sometimes illustrate quotes that I love, but the majority of what I feel people have been drawn to and respond to is me just illustrating my own words and my own reflections of my own experiences that I've went through and that I am going through. Mm. And like I can, I I love to go back on that topic of you know um, mental health and so on. Before we do. Mm-hmm. I love to ask you, like, what kind of things were you interested in as a child? Because, like, clearly you have a desire to uh, be creative and do um, these illustrations. So, like, did you always have this um, kind of natural curiosity towards these things or is that just developed recently? No, no, definitely. I've always been very creative. I'm quite an introverted person. So I found ever since I was a child and even before I understood that about myself, creating and um, drawing and writing was a way that I could express myself, especially in times when I felt I couldn't say it in words, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely, when I was in school and when I was in college, I always had a sketchbook with me. Um, I was always doodling. It's always <laughs> been a way that I found great for me to process my emotions or if I'm feeling a bit nervous, it helps me calm down. Um, so it's just it's always been a part of me. I can't actually remember a time in my life, even as a child, when I wasn't like drawing or like having stacks of paper in my bedroom and like mountains of pens. Um, I've always loved it. I absolutely love that because um, I feel like, you know, when you're a child, you tend to like do things you're curious about. You do you tend to do things that you you naturally have a um, desire to do. And like yeah. when you do them as an adult, you're actually going to be so much better at it because like you can you can never beat somebody who's um, like really loves what they do. So I think that's exceptional what you do. No, it's so true. And I think, I mean, one of the good parts that has come from my experience of working with children as a teacher is that every day I'm reminded of that fact because you see children who just do the things that they're interested in and those are always their strengths and they are drawn to them naturally and I think that the way the world is now as we grow up we're often focused on more academic things and that sometimes does pull us away from Mm. our strengths 
I mean, for me growing up, art and being creative was something I was very interested in. But I mean, especially still in Ireland, deciding that you want to go to art college, it's kind of like everyone's just going to ask you, and what are you going to do as a job when you're finished? So you get into this sense of I have to do something practical. I have to do something that I know what the starting salary is when I go in. And you lose sight of what does like set your soul on fire and work becomes work. It becomes hard. Um, instead of just trying to follow that that thing that we're really passionate about, very often, you know, you listen to success stories about people who've gone on to do great things, and it's going back to those things that they loved as a child. You find a way to make it a job when you when you really love it. Yeah, hundred percent, and that, that's why I think like the education system is kind of flawed in a way because like we tend to like people are awarded just for their grades but like they're not necessarily enjoying it that much and then you go on to college and then you're doing a course that you're not really passionate about and then that's it like I mean once you finish college you're kind of like okay now I need to go to this career because mm-hmm. all my friends are doing it and like it's yeah. kind of um it's kind of like it should be the reverse like you should, people should be doing kind of like what you did you know follow your passion like do do what you're naturally gifted towards as a child so I'm I'm 100% with that and like that's that's what I want this podcast to be about as well you know just um interviewing people who are doing what they're passionate about like do, not not being normal or not on the normal path I guess so I think that's so true I think and so many people that especially that I've went to school with have had the same experiences um you know I went down the road of doing something more academic and going into teaching and even though I did that, I've still found my way back to doing the thing that I'm passionate about and putting more time and energy into that most of the time than I do the thing that I have a degree in. Um, And then on the flip side of that, I had friends that I went to school with who went on to pursue the thing that they were passionate about. And it was really, really difficult because it wasn't exactly the straightforward thing to do. But they've ended up in a place where they're happier now, even though they had to work harder for it because they've follow the thing that they're interested in and it is kind of going against the status quo especially I think in Ireland because of the way that the Leaving Cert and the CEO point system is set up it does reward the academics Mm. it doesn't necessarily reward the creatives if you're not book smart in school very often you're not valued from an educational point of view I can remember going to school with really creative people who really weren't valued for their creativity because it couldn't translate into leaving certain points unless it was in one or two subjects. And that really does need to change because we're not raising our next generations to be outside the box thinkers. We're putting them into boxes and we're making them believe from as early as the age of 16 that they need to pick a job and fit into a certain label and they have to stick with that because there's no other options once you've got your degree you have to do that but it's so not true you can go on to do your degree you can change your mind when you start doing that work if you realize that it's not something you're passionate about you know life is too short but it's also very long in that you have so many opportunities to follow different directions don't limit yourself by a label you know when you were speaking there i was literally getting goosebumps because i agree with this <laughs> i agree with this so so much and i'm very passionate about this subject and like you obviously have experience in this because you went out there and did it so like for somebody out there who wants to do like what they're passionate about people who want to like go out there and just you know take a different route like what advice would you give to such an individual um I mean I guess my my top bit of advice is is from my experience is just do it um (laughs) it's not going to be easy like I mean I at the moment I I work so incredibly hard I don't I, I start to talk to people about how much I work during the week between my day job and trying to manage everything that I do online and I think sometimes people's heads begin to explode because they can't actually get their head around how much work that I'm actually doing. But um, the work that I do on the things that I'm passionate about, I don't necessarily feel the time. So Mm. there may be a phase where you're trying to move from doing something that pays the bills to doing something that pays the bills and you're passionate about it, that you have to do both of them at the same time. Um, because obviously from my experience, the thing that I'm passionate about, I didn't have a lot of experience or education or training in. So I've had to spend the last year, two years just building up experience doing it until I've reached the point where 
I feel I can actually sell the service, if that makes sense. So, I mean, that is the scary part when you decide that you want to follow your dreams and you realize that you can't just quit your day job and start following your dreams straight away. There is going to be a period of you have to put up with the thing that pays the bills because that's part of being an adult. But you still can do what you want to do on the side. You just have to make the choice and you have to make the time to do it. And I'm not necessarily saying it's going to be easy because it's not. But you have to think about what you want in the long term and whether or not that choice is worth it for you. And the beautiful thing about that is like if you work on a job and like this gonna be like my plan, I guess, because I have so much things I want to do. But um, mm-hmm. like if, if you work on a job, you can just do the side stuff. You can do like like you were doing illustrations. You can do dancing. I don't know what you like to do. But basically, like once you have enough income coming in from that um, side thing you're doing, you can just quit your job. And that is it. It's true. And like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's so much opportunity out there on the Internet. Like 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 you have a huge Instagram following as well. And like there's so much opportunity out there. So you can just make a job for yourself, really, if it doesn't exist. Yeah, that is the wonder of the the internet world, the online world that we live in now is that through social media and through the internet, there are jobs that exist now that didn't exist before the internet. And there are jobs that will exist in the future that we can't even begin to imagine now because the person that is going to create that career hasn't even begun to start doing it yet. So, I mean, the, the potential is limitless. If you can dream it, you can do it. Um, you have to put in the time, you have to make the sacrifice, but very often if it's something you're passionate about, you won't feel that sacrifice. And, you know, look for the minutes in the day that are empty. For me, a huge part of what I do, I do it during my commute time because I have like a two hour commute between my house and where I work in Milan. And again, it's something that when I talk about it to people, they're like, but why don't you just work nearer to home? But I use every single minute of that two hours on the commute to be productive, to to practice my skill, to think about where I'm going to take it next, to plan, to create content. So look at those empty minutes in your day, whether it's, you know, you're driving and you're commuting, you can be planning in your head, you can be dictating to your phone. You know, there's so many gaps in our days that just remain empty and that we sit around and probably think about how we wish our life was different that we could be filling with little bursts of productivity and planning and when you do that you get more inspired and you get more made motivated to work on something um and then you just find that you find your flow and it doesn't feel like work anymore oh yes 100 percent. and like literally make work your hobby so i mean not mm. make work your habit i make work your hobby and yeah like you yeah. said it, do- it doesn't feel like work no no not at all and like, um, so how much time, like, what does your typical day look like? So how much time do you work? Because you said you work really hard. And when you tell your friends about it, you're like, whoa, do you actually do that much? Hello? So I'm curious to know um, how much you actually put in into um, your work. Um, so a typical Monday to Friday week, I get up at about half past five in the morning because I have to catch a really early train. Um, I'm on my train from about 6.30 and I arrive into Milan at about quarter to eight. So during that time, I work on um, responding to messages and emails and comments on Instagram. Um, on At the start of the week, I start creating and planning the illustrations and contents that I'm going to upload to my different social media platforms. Um, and then... Other times, like usually on the evening back commute, which is roughly the same time, I start working on maybe orders or um, just doing a bit of illustration for projects that I have on the table. Um, And then my working day in terms of my day job is from (laughs) about half past eight until quarter to five. So I'm literally like up in the morning on the train working on... um, Laura Jane illustrations and Hello Happy, then into work from 8.30 until quarter to five, working with um, the kids. Um, During my lunch break, if I have time, I also do a little bit of checking in online, answering comments and messages. Um, Then I'm back on the train at about half past five until about 8.45. So again, working away there. Um, I come in, I have dinner, and then sometimes maybe in the evening for an extra half an hour, I work on stuff that I didn't get finished on the train. 
And then Saturdays and Sundays for me are the only days that I have full time to work on the shop, to work on large illustrations. So those are the days that I start working on packing orders, um, processing what's coming from the happy shop, uh, planning the content that I want to do for the next week, editing stuff for the blog, um, creating any photo content that I might need. Um, so, I mean, I, I kind of work from one end of the week to the next. I've actually recently for the new year had to challenge myself to put into my diary one weekend in the month where I don't work because I was just literally working nonstop. Yeah, I was just going to ask, because that sounds like a very, like, you're obviously enjoying what you do, but um, it's a lot of work. And, like, what do you do to relax or what do you do with your leisure time? Because, like, you can't really, like, it's, like, you can you can burn out eventually. And I think you need to take care of your mental health and stuff like that. So I'm curious to know, um, like, what, what are you doing on the, in that regard? No, it's so true. And, I mean, I definitely felt it at the end of 2019. I mm. definitely reached, like, a burnout point where I just felt so exhausted um so I mean one of the big things that I've done for this year going forward is that I block out one weekend a month where I just do not pick up my iPad I don't check emails <laughs> I don't go on social media I tend to post a message on a Friday to say that that's what I'm doing and encouraging my followers to also do the same thing um I one of the big things that I do for my mental health because so much of what I do is online based is I always 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 have my phone on do not disturb so if my phone is not in my hand it's not pinging with notifications because I feel like it's such an easy habit to pick up when your phone is pinging away in the corner to keep picking it up and keep checking it so if I don't have my phone in my hand it's not ringing and I deal with my notifications whenever the next time that I pick up my phone is and that's really helped me to be able to like completely switch off when I step away from it. Um, I do make self-care a really big part of my routine, especially during the week. So in the evenings when work is finished and I'm finished doing what I need to do again, I put down my phone, I turn off my devices. You know, I spend some time with um, my dog, with my boyfriend. We do, you know, we take the dog out. Um, I run a bath when I feel like I need to relax. I do a lot of reading so that I'm not staring at screens. Um, I journal. Sometimes I sketch on paper because even though creating is now part of what I do as a job, um, it's still something that really makes me happy and, and is good for my mental health from my experience. Mm. And what kind of tool do you use to create? Because you said um, you needed to learn all of this from scratch. Like you never learned about this in school or college even. Um, so like mm. what kind of, like how long did it take for you to get to the point that you're actually good at what you do? And what kind of tools do you use to do your illustrations? So in May of 2018 was kind of when I started working on, on and, and actually started up Laura Jane Illustrations. And at that point, it started with um, a graphics tablet. So I've always been um, experienced, I mean, experienced from personal experience with drawing on paper. But to take it online, I had to learn how to do it digitally, with, which isn't as easy as it sounds, transferring mm. the skills from paper to digitally. <laughs> so I started with a, a graphics tablet. I watched a lot of um, YouTube tutorials. Um, I'm very lucky that my cousin studied um, graphic designs in um, Limerick Art and Design College. Um, so she was able to offer me advice on what I can do to improve and what programs to experiment with. Um, and then I worked up to save for an iPad and started using Procreate, which was a lot easier to transfer the skills because obviously when you're using a graphics tablet, you're drawing on a piece of equipment but you're looking at a screen so you're not looking at the same place that you're drawing and that can be quite difficult whereas with the iPad it's more similar to the experience of drawing on paper because you are seeing what you're drawing as mm. it's happening right at the point of your pen um so then I had but then of course I had to relearn how to use a new program which was Procreate which is quite simple to use but has so many different tools that it takes a while to get your head around um, and again, a lot of it came from watching tutorials, um, looking at people that I admire online and take inspiration from and looking at the videos and um, kind of tutorials that they had shared on how they had improved their skills and 
taking that advice on board as much as I could. Um, but most of it just came from practice, 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 you know, getting up every day and, you know, trying to practice a little bit and um, letting my skill improve as I go. So I try, I mean, one of the big things about when I started Laura Jane Illustrations is I didn't want it to be so filtered and so perfect because so much of what we put on social media is. Mm. And even though it's digital art, so it's not, you know, real in its its own sense, mm. um, I just posted as I created. I didn't overthink about the fact that it was not perfect yet, that the next posts, five posts on, would be way better than what I had posted um I just I kept sharing and I kept trying and I kept practicing and that's I think how I improved on my own skill and I think it's great actually now when I scroll back through everything that I've shared in the last nearly two years you can see my style evolving you can see my skill improving um and I think that that also does help my audience feel um, more connected with me because they've grown as I've grown yeah, that's actually so true, and it goes back to the point where you said, "Um, just do it," because um, like if you don't start, it's never gonna be perfect, basically. And like no. once you do, once you start, like you're gonna get better and better and better. And I th- I think that's actually a huge message, and like, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense to me. Just like begin, and it's not gonna be perfect, but you're gonna get better. And then you no. can look back at it, you can scroll back, and you can see, oh wow, look, I made all this progress. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. And I'd love to ask you, um, like, because I'm all about efficiency as well and just being productive with your time. And what would you say are the 20% of the tasks that um, produce 80% of the results? So essentially the Pareto principle. Uh, what are the things that, 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 you, that you do that produce most of the results? Um, do you mean in terms of how do I plan and keep myself organized? Um, I guess when it comes to um, putting up illustrations on Instagram, like what are the kind of things that that are the most important for you to um how do i explain this and um, what are the things that you do that produce most of the results i guess um i mean i again i guess it's just down to um trying to create something new i mean most most of my time that i in terms of my online creation does go on to like actually just spending hours um, sketching and doodling out concepts and cr- turning that into something that can be post right. on, posted online, which then obviously has led to those posts being able to be turned into prints and products for my shop, which then in turn turns over to um, creating that extra income that I now have. Mm. Does that answer your question? Because I'm not sure if I fully understood it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I probably put it bad in, in, a, in a bad way. But actually, as um, I just remembered, uh, we talked about the education system. And like, what do you feel could be changed about the education system, perhaps to improve it or let um, children to allow children to identify their passion and stuff like that? Like, what do you think um, should be done to implement the education system? Because you said in, in the UK, it's very stressful. And mm-hmm. a lot of teachers take their work home with them. So I like there's obviously an issue there. So like in your opinion, what do you think could be done to improve the education system? Um, oh, God, I mean, I, I this is something that I could talk for hours on, because obviously I have a lot of firsthand experience having been on, I suppose, <laughs> both sides of the desk, as you can say, <laughs> being a creative person who grew up in an academic focused education system and then going on to also be the leader of an educate an ap- academic focused classroom. Um, I do think that more weight needs to put, be put on creative curriculum. Um, now that I work with younger children, I do get to experience the the benefits of that because when you teach younger teach children, you teach everything through experience and the learning comes from that. I think that our education system needs to put more weight on that regardless of the age of the student. That is a concept that can be applied right from when you start at five all the way up until you finish at 18. Our students, especially our secondary school students, need to be given more experience. But be that like experiential based learning or experience in the real world, because they are currently being asked to decide what they want to do based on what they've seen in books. Mm. They're not choosing a career based on experience based on knowledge and I think that what you see happening a lot is 
um, students going down career paths that their parents or someone else in their family has taken simply because that's the only career that they have some outside the book experience with. Mm. So I think that that's one thing that we really do need to change is creating that our education and our learning needs to start with experience and not just open a book and push in knowledge because there's only a certain percentage of students that respond to that kind of knowledge-based learning. And so at the moment, we're teaching to only a certain percentage of our students. And by that, we're just automatically failing those students who can't access that knowledge-based learning, who would respond better and be more interested in learning were they given more experiential-based experiences. Um, And then another thing that I think we really do need to change about our our education system, and I think it really would help students follow their passion more, is making mental health education a part of education because at the moment it's not um, what we learn about mental health. We do it through our own experience very often because our mental health has got to a place where we've needed help with it, not because we've been taught about it as we go along so that we know what signs to look out for in ourselves and in others. Um, Learning about my mental health has helped me learn to connect with myself more personally and through that I've been able to kind of follow what I want to do without that sense of guilt because I know that doing that is also good for me um so those are the two big things I really do feel that we need to change and obviously making that change happen is going to take a long time and it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take getting teachers on board who are passionate about those things as well and passionate about reforming kind of this very structured education system that we have at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I love the way you mentioned mental health being part of the education system because it's true, like we never really learned about these things in school. And it's such a big, it's it's such a big problem. And I feel like it, maybe it always was a problem, but maybe we just, we're talking about it now more and more. So absolutely, that should be included. And like you, you obviously have some experience with mental health. And so I'm curious to know, like what kind of um, like helps you? You said, you you know, you, you do self-care and stuff like, but what advice would you give to people who are dealing with mental health issues and so on? Um, I mean, I think for me, probably one of the biggest mindset changers was just that simple quote of everyone has mental health. Because I think the one of the misconceptions that we have is that mental health means mental health problem. But just in the same way as that we all have physical health, we all have mental health. We don't have to wait until there's something that goes wrong with it to seek out help and to educate ourselves on it. Um, My advice to someone who's struggling with it is, you know, talking to someone about what you're experiencing is the first step. Um, It has to be someone that you trust. And when you do make that step of going in and opening up, you have to do it with um, no expectations. Because one of the common things that happens when someone opens up about their mental health is the person that you're opening up to doesn't know how to respond. And that can impact you who has opened up negatively. Mm, mm. Um, One of the things that I've tried to remind myself as I've went through my journey is, and especially looking back with hindsight now, um, and being in the position where I'm a big mental health um, advocate, is realising that very often that negative response from the person that you're opening up to comes from a place of ignorance in that, again, we're not educated about mental health. And so very often when we open up to someone, they don't know how to respond uh, and they shut it down out of panic because they have no idea how to respond. They have no idea to help you. And it's out of fear that you um, kind of get that negative response back. So we oh, talking about it is going to help you go in with no expectations. If that person shuts it down, um, you know, say to them that you're not necessarily looking for help or advice, that you just need someone to yeah. listen, to be a soundboard. Um, and kind of helping them as well to take on that position um if someone talks to you about their mental health realize that 
actually they don't need you to give advice and if you're not experienced or if you're not a professional you shouldn't be giving advice so be a soundboard be there let them know that you are there listen to them um tell them that you're going to help them on their journey of finding someone who can actually help them with it um and then if you are the person in the position who's struggling um try and and find someone who can help you with it be if you're a student um have a look around school or college because there are services there that can help you out for free or for very little in the beginning and help you find your feet so that you can go on to maybe get more help if you need it down the road um and I mean again there is a big uh, debate on the topic of medication in terms of mental health. So my advice in that sense would be really think about if or not that that's the right choice for you. Um, for some people, it is the right choice, getting something, a medication to help you support your emotions and how your mind changes your moods. But for many people, it's not the right choice, but it's the easy choice. So really think about whether or not that's the route that you want to take and really talk about it with your doctor or your therapist or whoever is advising you as to why they think that that's the right choice for you. Yeah, 100%. And I love the way you mentioned them, um, like, you know, just listen to people and not necessarily give advice because like, you can't really give advice because, yeah, like I said, you're not you're not a doctor. You're not um, certified to do these kind of things. And I also feel like listening is actually a form of medicine. Like um, it is because, like, um, like when you listen to someone, like most of the time, that's all they want. They just want someone to listen to them and understand them and just to feel important. So I yeah. think that's huge. And I think that um, we're not very good at listening. I don't think yeah. that most of us understand how to listen. Um, and again, like not like bundling Irish people into like this <laughs> issue with mental health, but I do think that. Um, in terms of Irish conversations, there is that instinct that if someone talks to you about something, you have to be able to give them advice and you have to be able to tell them what you think that they should do. Um, and as I said, unless you are someone who is professional and actually knows what's the right choice for that person, you really shouldn't be giving them advice because your advice can actually go on to hinder their um, healing process. So it's so much better to just listen and to just be there for the person. And if you really want to say something, don't fall into the trap of giving advice, empty advice. Try asking a question instead, because responding to someone who's talking to you with a question not only will help you understand them better, but will help them process their feelings better. Um, so soundboard them, you know, paraphrase what they're saying to you, ask them questions in, you know, like a coaching way to help them kind of dig deeper about what they're experiencing. Um, and that's going to be so much more beneficial than, you know, just barely listening to what they're saying and then coming in with either advice or, oh, the same thing happened to me. And, you know, this was my experience because that doesn't always help. I mean, it rarely helps the person that's talking to you for you to turn it into something that's about yourself. Yeah, I think that's that's a very valid point. And what about when it comes to like actually doing something better personally? Because I know for me, like, because um, you said everybody has mental health, and for me, journaling really helps, and um, meditation helps because I can identify. Oh, look, I'm thinking too much. I need to stop. Focus on my breath, mm -hmm. and like exercising helps a lot as well. Because sometimes I feel like your mind is just full of thoughts, and you're like, oh, this everything is going wrong. But like, once you journal, once you actually put it down on paper or I, I don't know on on your computer. You're kind of like, oh, okay, this is what I'm worried about. This is what I'm thinking about. And that helps a lot as well. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, again, going back to the whole we all have mental health point, you know, we all look out after our physical health mm. uh, most of the time without needing to go to a doctor. So if you're struggling with your mental health, for me, it's anxiety. I struggle with social anxiety, which is um, an irrational fear of social situations. Mm. Um, so for me, my triggers are, you know, going to mixers, doing icebreakers, those kind of things. Um, and that's not something that I need to constantly be going to a therapist about. I have I have done therapy in the past and it did help me understand what triggered my anxiety. Now, as an adult, 
I have to understand my triggers and I have to understand what works for me so that I can manage it the same way I do, you know, my body, my diet, my physical health, myself at home. Um, And I guess it comes from trial and error. You know, there's some things that will work for someone that won't work for you, but there's no harm in trying it first to see if it will work for you. Um, For me, it's yoga. When I'm Mm. really anxious, you know, putting in my headphones, listening to music and just doing breathing and slow movement helps me slow everything down. Mm. Um, Again, you know, journaling, journaling does help for me, but sometimes it's more like of a stream of consciousness because then when I read it back, I go, okay, this is nonsense. What you're worrying about, what you're getting stressed <laughs> about is not a real thing. And sometimes it just takes that kind of looking at your mind from an outside perspective to realize you're, you know, that there's no sense in what you're panicking about right now. Um, so yeah, just try different things that other people recommend. And if it doesn't work for you, try something different until you find the thing that you see makes the big impact on your feelings, on your emotions when they're unstable. Um, And then make time to do that because this is something that we have to do constantly. It's not that you know, my experience as well, especially with my social anxiety, is that I can go six months without it bothering me. Um, but unless I keep up those practices that I know are good for it, when something does trigger it, um, I feel like right back in that place where I was when I didn't even understand what it was. So you have to make time to look after your mental health. You have to keep up those practices, even when your mental health is in a good place so that when something does trigger it, you're armed and you're ready to face it and you don't feel so destabilized or you don't feel like the rug has been pulled out from under you and you can't go on anymore. Mm. Well, yeah, that that is so true. I agree with that 100%. And I also feel like, um, like I know this was for me as well. Um, I used to be so afraid what other people thought of me, like especially when I was younger. I was like, oh, you know, I can't do this because it's not normal, whatever. And I was mm-hmm. never really myself. And like the the kind of thing that allowed me to like over overcome all this was just like remember like like we're just a small little rock in the universe. Like the universe is expanding every single day, and we're just we're such a small fraction in the in the universe. So like all your actions don't really matter, and mm-hmm. like nobody really cares what you do. So you might as well just go out there and do whatever you want to do, and not be afraid of judgment or whatever and i think like just that alone that helps me so much just just to you know be happy and just to not worry about ending so yeah i mean i can completely relate to that on a personal level i mean i found especially when i was in secondary school i was not myself and i found it really hard to fit in and i did have that mindset of you know i'm all alone and i'm only i'm the only one and again i think that that really comes back to the fact that we don't talk about it enough we don't educate people enough about it it wasn't until I got to college and I actually you know came near to a breakdown because of my anxiety because that was a huge change that was completely based around new social experiences Mm. um that I learned what social anxiety was and I remember reading the definition of it and crying because I realized oh I'm not alone in how I feel and this is a part of me and that's okay Um, And then it took me a long time and a huge journey to get to a place where I can talk about it. And I really don't care if there's people who respond to that negatively, because I know by me being me, it's so much better for me. And it's so much better for everyone else as Mm, well. Um, Because by me talking about these things, by me sharing my passion with the world, it's helping other people when I get messages online about how what I've shared has connected with someone or given them the courage to talk to someone else about how they're feeling that's what makes it all worth it when we are our true selves we benefit the world around us so much more and we pay into the universe what we were created to do and it has this huge snowball effect of just really good energy flowing out to the people around you the relationships that you will make will be so much stronger because you are connecting with people as yourself not as what you think they want you to be yo 
once again I'm getting goosebumps um hundred <laughs> percent um I feel like we did enough um uh conversation about mental health um and I think we covered it pretty well um okay. so I'm really glad we got to chat about that and I'm curious to know um if you could go back to the age of eighteen years of age um what mm-hmm. advice would you give to yourself oh um I mean that's that I mean I had a big uh coming of moment at the start of this decade because for me 18 was 10 years ago and it was um mm. the start of probably one of the most difficult phases for me in my mental health um and so if I could go back to my 18 year old self while there's so much advice that I'd want to give that part of myself there's also a part of me that wouldn't want to stop that experience that I had regardless of how hard it was and how much it broke me um I think the only thing that I would want to tell that person is to remember how strong she is and to remember even when it feels like it's not true that you are loved and you're not alone um I mean, I I wouldn't want to give myself the advice that would change the experience because even though being 18 was probably one of the hardest years for me when I look back on my life now, um, it's also the years, the start of the years that made me who I am now. So yeah, I would just advise myself to remember how strong you are inside and to never forget that you're not, you're not never ever fully alone. Well, wow, that's so true. Um, the obstacle is the way. So literally, like, um, whenever you, I feel like when you face adversity, um, that actually pays off in the long term. So I think that's, yeah, that's super important. And if you, like, is there any, like, books that come to mind that you gifted or recommended to other people? Um, One of the books that I read in the last couple of years that has completely changed my mindset on living is The Gratitude Mm. Diaries by Janice Kaplan. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's about a woman who was an author. She she is an author. And at the start of the year, she made a New Year's resolution to be more grateful and to practice gratitude daily. And what started as a simple promise to herself ended up actually turning into this project where she wrote this book because she couldn't believe the impact that that had on her life and the people around her. And she actually then went on to speak to psychologists and specialists in the area of this um, seeking happiness that we all, you know, strive for in life um, as to the benefits of being grateful and practicing gratitude daily. Um, And it's like, it's a really easy read as a book, but it's one of those books that as you're reading it, it really does make you reflect inwards on sometimes how ungrateful we are because um, the the thing that it made me realize that even on the, the worst days when you have an absolutely rubbish day, there is, things in your life that you can still be grateful for be that you know the bed that you get to come home to or the the dinner that you get to eat or even the very smallest things like the clothes on your back you still have things in your life that you can be grateful for and it's uh it creates such good energy to focus on that as you go to bed at the end of the day than it does to focus on all of the things that went wrong and how afraid you are of starting again tomorrow because those things could go wrong again um and I recommend that book to so many people I've bought like two or three copies and I've shared them with my family and it's always one of those that books that comes up as <laughs> a book that I would recommend because it's an easy read but it does make you reflect on how you think about your life and sometimes how ungrateful we just tend to be mm. And what about movies, documentaries? Do any of those pop into mind? Um, oh, I mean, I've, <laughs> um, oh, I got, I don't know about movies. I mean, a documentary that changed my way of thinking was the documentary that led to me being a vegan. But I mean, <laughs> that kind of also scarred me for life. So I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone. <laughs> Is that the... No, oh, there's a few of them now. There's the uh, the one that I watched was Earthlings, and I actually ended up watching it by mistake because I thought it was a documentary about how we could benefit better from living from the Earth. But what it's oh, actually <laughs> about is how every creature on Earth should be classed as an Earthling, and how us as humans abuse other earthlings being animals um it was one of those documentaries that i started watching it and i just couldn't 
turn it off because it was just so graphic and so disturbing. And I have never touched a piece of meat from that day onwards because it just disturbed me so much that I don't even find meat appetizing anymore. And I used to love it. So, um, you know, in one sense, it is great because it does open your eyes. But I would never recommend anyone to watch it because it is very graphic. That's interesting. So you're you're a vegan then? Um, yes, <laughs> I'm also a vegan. Yeah. How long have you been a vegan? Pardon? How long have you been a vegan? Um, I have been vegetarian, oh, so vegetarian, right. I think it's five or six years now. I have been fully vegan um, nearly two years, maybe and nearly three years or nearly two years. I've actually lost track at this point. I think it's nearly three years. And like, what kind of like, because I like, I'm kind of doing the same, um, except, well, I would say I'm 99% <laughs> vegan. Um, but like, what kind of benefits did you see from adopting such a lifestyle? Um, I think the initial benefit that I saw is, is it does make you reflect more and be more mindful about eating, mm. because you have to completely change your eating habits, because um, you're cutting out like these huge food groups. Um, it then another thing that I find is it does make me enjoy my food more because mm. when I find something that's you know suitable for me to eat when it's out in a restaurant when it's you know at an ice cream parlor that does vegan ice cream I enjoy it so more because it's not something that I can find every day um, I do find that eating this way has definitely given me more energy um, and it it just I I since I started eating um more plant-based it does it makes me feel better I do find that my mental health and my moods has definitely have been more stable since I started eating that and that I can have a better handle on them um and it's made me realize I think how much that we don't question is in our food until that you're in the position that you have to question it because you have a dietary requirement um so I mean I'm I, I am vegan. There are times when I will eat um, an egg because that's what my body tells me that I want. Mm. Um, but I think the biggest benefit that it has had for me is eating mindfully and not just eating something because it's there, but actually thinking about what you're going to buy when you go to the supermarket and the ingredients that are in it and trying to eat foods that, you know, are le as least less processed as possible because um, they are better for your body. Yeah, for sure. Um, whole foods in general, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And when you feel overwhelmed or just unfocused in general, how do you tend to deal with that? Um, I am a very self-reflective person. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I do like to process it myself first. Um, I guess it's it's kind of meditation in a way, but I mean, I never really practice meditation in terms of a discipline. Um, I do like to kind of have an internal dialogue with myself. So kind of look at what I'm overwhelmed and in my head, try to think of solutions or try to break down the fear or the worry. Um, and then when I'm kind of in a place where I've kind of have a few ideas, then I'll have the courage to kind of talk to someone else about it if it is still overwhelming. I'm a big advocate also of crying. I mean, I know that it's like frowned upon a lot as an adult to cry. But for me, sometimes when I'm having a hard day and I'm feeling overwhelmed, if I just sit down for half an hour and cry about it, I feel so much better when I'm finished because I realize, okay, I'm having this experience. I've cried about it. I'm still alive. I can deal with it. So, I mean, I try to be really connected with my emotions as because I am a quite emotional person naturally. Um, and I find when I give in to those emotions that it helps me find solutions to those worries or what's overwhelming me a lot easier than when I bottle it up and go, I'm not going to cry about this or I'm not going to get upset about this because um, when you let that emotion pass, you're able, or at least I am, able to to kind of look at the problem from a practical sense rather than an emotional sense yeah and like oh like the crying is very interesting to me because like surely crying is there for a reason like you're supposed to cry i feel yeah it's <laughs> i mean we we it, it's it's when you really think about it it's really odd because laughing is very therapeutic we never yeah. in a position you know frown at someone for laughing because it's such a natural thing when we need to laugh we laugh we can't hold <laughs> yeah. it back yeah. and yet we have evolved you know as as we grow up as children to to tell children to stop crying about something because it's not a good enough reason to cry 
Um, I work with five-year-olds in my classroom and I try so hard to never ever say that to a child because it's it's beginning to put that mindset in that there are things that are valid to cry about and there are things that are not valid to cry about when crying is just as natural a response as laughing is and sometimes you just have to let yourself do it and once it's passed you find that your head's actually a lot clearer and you can as I said um, see that problem that you're crying about from the practical side rather than the emotional side um, so I, I think you know if you need to cry just cry just do it mm. and this question is kind of unrelated to crying but um, I love to ask <laughs> you this um, if you could have dinner with three people in the world um, who would they be? Oh, um, definitely uh, Jamila Jamil, who's the founder of iWay. Um, I think that she is such a fascinating person and I would love to just listen to her talk in person and pick her brain. <laughs> um, another person that I would love is um, Frances White, who is the podcast host of The Guilty Feminist. Um, again, she's just such an incredible woman, um, but she's also just incredibly funny. Uh, I think she'd be a great person to have dinner with because she can talk about such huge, heavy topics and then still make you laugh about them. Um, and a third person that I would love to have dinner with. Um, ooh, let me think. Um, Scarlett Curtis is another person that comes to mind she's only 24 years of age and she's already written and published two bestsellers one of them about feminism one of them about mental health Mm. Um, I think she's just a a person who still struggles a lot with her own mental health and is so very open about it Um, but one of these people that is so intelligent that it's just you know amazing and and all striking to just listen to her talk so I think that would be a very interesting table to to have yeah sounds like a cool dinner to me (laughs) and um if someone out there wants to do your work so basically do your job and open up their own Instagram account and do their own illustrations and so on what advice would you give to such a person um I think go go in with doing it just for yourself um social media can be a job I'm very lucky in that the thing that I'm interested in has grown in to be um a side job at the moment and Mm. has collected a huge following if you want to do it do it because it's what you're passionate about Mm. don't go in with the aim of watching every single follower as it goes up of, of watching every single bit of engagement with every single thing that you post um Try and be true to yourself. I mean, my style has developed from looking at the people that I admire online, but it's still me. Don't try and create something that someone else is already doing successful because it's just going to look like a copy and paste. But then don't be afraid to learn from that person that you admire and make it your own. Um, So, you know, just be true to what you're interested in. create what you want to create create the kind of things that you would like to see on your social media feed not because you think it's what someone else wants to see um and and don't think about the numbers because if you do then you're doing it for the wrong reasons yeah 100 percent. um yeah when you say like don't care about numbers and just put it out because like exactly you should be doing what you what you want to do and yeah. it's going to take years to, to develop something. So yeah, like, there's I think no there's, point in comparing yourself, you know. There's so much talk online about, you know, how the Instagram algorithm has changed things for small mm. businesses online. Um, but I think that Instagram have a bigger plan. And I think that they see the amount of, I think, superficial content that we have online at the moment. Um, and I think that the creators of that platform don't want that to be what the platform about is about anymore. I think when you are putting something out there that's real, that's you, that is genuine, people engage with it regardless of the algorithm or not. I know myself personally, there are people that I follow online because they share so much because they are so genuine. If their stuff doesn't 
come up on my feed when I'm scrolling. I'll go and look for it. I'll put them into the search <laughs> bar. I'll go to their page physically. So, you know, this whole concept of that the algorithm is killing Instagram, it's, it's not true. The algorithm is showing us the things that we engage with, the things that other people are actually engaging with, the, the content that is real and genuine. And it's making us take a step back from this whole um, age of the influencer. And, you know, I respect anyone who has built a career as an influencer and has created a brand being an influencer online. But I've said a couple of times on my own page that I think the age of the influencer in terms of influencing people to do things is over. The age of the impactor is here. The people that people are more interested in following it online now are the people who are talking about the real things who are showing a real side of their lives because that's what we can all connect with because we can relate to real content and that's the things we want to see coming up on our feeds we want to see something that we can relate to we want to see something that feels that makes us feel less alone we we don't always want to see the aesthetic beautiful flat lays because very often we look at them and it makes us feel crap about our own lives so you know be genuine and and you know stop thinking about the numbers because that algorithm i think is there for the benefit of us all going forward in our social media journey yeah, that's so true. And you're right when you say, you know, like people follow people who are just genuine and just being themselves. And I think that's, yeah, I think like, so you're saying just to, in order to grow a following or like, perhaps like growing following is your is your goal. But you're saying don't do it just purely by just putting out like meaningless content. You're saying just be yourself and yeah. put out like content that is genuine to you and you might be a little bit vulnerable in that situation but it pay off in the long term yeah I mean I've been I started blogging in 2015 and I worked on creating content solely with grow in mind for mm. years and then I started doing Laura Jane illustrations which I set up as an account that was was supposed to just be for me and I was not thinking about the numbers at all and next thing I looked and it was less than a year and there were 10,000 people following it and I just had this like smack of realization of how has this happened um and I realized that it wasn't because I wasn't focusing on the numbers at all it, it happened because I was putting things out there not thinking about the numbers so I wasn't filtering them I wasn't editing them I wasn't trying to do something to think about how other people would respond to it. I was putting my feelings and my opinions on things out there, unfiltered, unedited. Sometimes those opinions, you know, they didn't go down well, especially, for example, um, when it was things about the big abortion things that came up in America last year. I shared my opinions on them. There were some people who didn't respond to it positively. There were some people who flooded on because I had shared an unfiltered opinion right. on something the same with feminism the same with mental health I put things out there without thinking about how other people will think about them and what actually happened was people did respond to them because of the fact that they were real and genuine so you know if it's for a business sense of point of view um, obviously growth is important but don't create thinking about the growth create thinking about what you're passionate about you know, go to what sets your soul on fire from that side of it and then let the growth happen organically because if what you're sharing is genuine, it will happen. For sure. And let's just say there's a billboard and any, anyone in walking along the street or whatever, anyone in the world can see this billboard and so it's just basically chilling there in the sky. And what message would you put up on that billboard for everyone to see? That is such a good question. I love that question. I might steal that when I'm doing interviews <laughs> myself. Um, uh, I think the, the core of what I've learned in my life so far is just be unapologetically yourself. And as simple as that, just be yourself. Stop thinking about what other people are going to think about that. Be unapologetically yourself because you will feel so much happier when you are and you'll be surprised how much your relationships with other people will improve when you are genuine to who you are 100 percent. like that's even on my, on my instagram bio just be yourself everyone else is taken and yeah i can relate that ass so much and i just have a few more questions for you and this is a recent question that i'm asking people but i feel like it, it's a good question to end the podcast so um what is your definition of chasing passion um 
it's it's following that thing that when you do it you lose all sense of time it's you know it's doing that thing when you get up in the morning that it's the first thing that you want to do it's it's making the time for something that maybe isn't necessarily practical um it's being a little bit selfish um it's connecting with your inner child and that part of you that maybe society has made you push to the back and again it's being unapologetic about what you do and doing it for yourself not necessarily for other people but realizing that it can be something that other people can enjoy well laura it was a pleasure talking to you and i feel like it's a good opportunity to finish up the podcast i really enjoyed it i can't wait to to listen back (laughs) But before we do finish up, is there anything out there that you like to say, mention, anything at all? Um, I guess, I mean, I'll finish up by kind of giving a roundup of where you can find me because there's so many different parts yeah. to what I create online. Um, so if you want to to find me on Instagram, you can find me at, at Laura Jane Illustrations, all one word, um, or at, at Hello Happy. Um, if you want to visit my blog, I just recently relaunched and I have um, someone who in based in Australia who's helping me with the content at the moment um that's hellohappy.com um and if you want to see some of my prints or some of the things that I have in my shop you can find that at hellohappy.etsy.com and if you like what you see then give me a follow and if you don't don't because I'm a believer of we should only follow people online that we actually enjoy the content of that's awesome Laura, thank you so much for coming on. It was a Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the episode and I really hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the show notes on the website chasingpassion.ie. That is chasingpassion.ie. If you're looking to support the podcast in any way, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a short review on Apple Podcasts and this would literally take about 60 seconds and it will help the podcast grow in so many ways. You can find the link to Apple Podcasts in the episode description or just simply search Chasing Passion on Apple Podcast and it should pop right up. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. It means the world to me. I really appreciate it. And yeah, just thank you so much and have a great day.